0: Hi Psychodrama listeners, self-care is a bit of a buzzword these days. At its best, it encourages people to have balance in their lives. On the other hand, it seems to have picked up as a way to market things to people. Sometimes it's used to put responsibility or blame on an individual to manage their own mental health, rather than acknowledging challenges with accessing treatment.
1: We invited Dr. Joel Minden on the show because we think that the approach in his book, Show Your Anxiety Who's Boss, is an excellent way to think about self-care. He talks about living a meaningful life and making decisions based on values rather than anxiety or avoidance urges. Joel's approach is to accept anxiety as part of life to manage, rather than something to get rid of. Importantly, he suggests approaching yourself with compassion. The message is not just to suck it up when facing challenges. Welcome to Psychodrama Podcast. This is Katie Gordon.
0: And this is Leo Bovadilla. It runs with Tortilla.
1: You changed it up today.
0: I switched it up. I decided we need to keep it fresh.
1: That's right. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you doing?
0: Doing good. Just slowly but surely kind of getting our bearings and also dealing with some different various anxieties at work with you know just changes and things and watching the works the works report uh, come out last Friday which was pretty scary so trying to manage all of that uh, while at the same time taking care of our own lives
1: yeah I think that's a really good point that a lot of us are facing legitimate stress and worry about the condition of the world right now and are trying to find ways to cope through that and so I think Today's episode, while I think it will be of interest to our listeners, is also useful as a way of my own self-care to learn about some helpful tips and strategies for dealing with this.
0: Yeah, it's a great word, the self-care, and I'm pretty excited about our our guest, whom uh, I would love for you to introduce, actually.
1: Today, our guest is Dr. Joel Minden, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, director of the Chico Center for Cognitive Behavior Therapy, diplomate of the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Therapies, and an adjunct professor at California State University, Chico. He is also the author of an excellent self-help book called Show Your Anxiety, Who's Boss? And he is also a good friend of mine. Thank you, Joel, for coming on the show today.
2: Hi, Katie. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hi, Leo.
0: Hi. Nice seeing you. Nice. See- well, t- I don't know. I'm not seeing you, but nice hearing from you. Nice, <laughs> and nice hearing from you again. How are well, you? Well, the
1: first time you met him, you couldn't really hear him because... <laughs> We were at a conference <laughs> and we met up at a diner that had very loud music. So the
0: world's loudest, loudest music.
1: That's true. I just thought that'd be a good place for us to catch up. So <laughs>
0: we, you also may hear us say "banana bing bong" here and there, and that's just that's just the word that we use in order to market to know that that's something we want to cut out. Oh, so okay. if there's something that if there's something that you want to you know you're like oh god I shouldn't have said that just say banana bing bong and then we'll. <laughs> Well, no. Okay.
1: <laughs> or you can it's just, just say bong. you want to cut it. That's fine. That too.
0: <laughs> okay. But really, we try to be—you know—we're traditionalists here, so we, <laughs> really, we prefer you ascribe to the banana bing bong. <laughs> okay, I'll,
2: I'll try to remember banana bing bong. Okay.
0: <laughs> so how are you doing, Joel? How are how are how are you showing your anxiety? whose boss this this past uh, during quarantine?
2: Oh, that's that's a good question. I'm. Um, I guess I'm pretty lucky. I haven't had a lot of anxiety to, uh, to show who's boss. So maybe I've been uh, employing some of the strategies in the book uh, a lot. And uh, it was easier for me to deal with some of the things that popped up as we sort of made a lot of transitions during the pandemic. But, uh, but yeah, so far, um, you know, things have been pretty, pretty smooth and comfortable for me.
1: And Joel, you're in California, right? So you, how long is your stay at home order extended at this point?
2: I'm honestly not sure. I don't know if uh, this is going to continue for another two to three weeks, or if they're starting to relax uh, some of the guidelines.
1: And what about you, Leo? Because you're in Portland, you're still at a stay-at-home order, right? Yeah,
2: we still have, but uh, we're we have
0: starting to have some relaxations. So the governor opened some state parks. The some of the ski resorts are opening at the end of the season, but that's okay. We still take it. So yeah, it's just a few a little bit of a relaxation but i am you know look on on the market for a couple of ar-15s because i am ready to parade up and down uh oh demand <laughs> that,
2: that i can get a haircut
1: <laughs> oh that's gonna be a banana what about you, Joel?
2: <laughs> I, i'm excited <laughs> okay. to get a haircut but i don't know if i'm willing to go that far i you know i'm sort of embracing the uh i feel like I, i've got that 80s sitcom hairstyle right that's now
1: good. Yeah, okay
2: with sh- that actually the one thing the i i think the um
0: Usually, we have a question which we ask: you know, how do how did you get interested in this area? So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how do you how do you become interested in anxiety, uh, anxiety research, and where you are, where you are now in life? I guess. Uh,
2: yeah, it's a great question. I uh, I think about that sometimes. I'm, I I don't know if I have a great answer. I, I think that anxiety is something though that we can all relate to. We all experience it, and I've just noticed in my own life that uh, anxiety has. Just interfered with my ability to do some of the things that uh, that are really important, and and just over the years, I became really frustrated with um, you know sort of the messages that I I learned. Uh, about coping more effectively with anxiety and, and often, and I think this will kind of feed into what we talk about with self-care, Self care, but often I would, would hear that, you know, it's really important to uh, kind of do all of these things that later I, I came to the conclusion that would be really helpful for stress management, like uh, controlled breathing exercises or progressive muscle relaxation. Um, but, you know, I always felt dissatisfied with those strategies. It always seemed like I, I wasn't getting a whole lot out of, those practices in terms of anxiety management. So I really wanted to, um, you know, kind of figure out a, a better way to understand anxiety and relate to it so that um, I could be uh, more effective in, in my own life with regard to uh, anxiety provoking challenges. And so, um, you know, just in, in studying that and, and kind of using um some of the, the tactics that I've acquired along the way that I find really interesting and evidence-based. And I see that uh, being able to use those in clinical practice and I see the the power of the um, of the approach—it's it, just really um, inspiring to me, and it's really kind of influenced me to, to study this more and, and really uh, put a lot of effort into understanding anxiety and um, how how best to cope with it long term, so that you really feel like you're you're able to take back more personal control in your own life. So that's that's something that you know personally I, I find to be really powerful and significant, and I love sharing that with other
1: people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really love that approach in your book, because I think it's an excellent way to think about self-care, because you talk about living a meaningful life and making decisions based on values rather than your anxiety or avoidance urges, but your approach is different than the idea that you need to get rid of anxiety. It's very much that anxiety is part of your life to accept and manage. And the other thing that I like about it is I think that sometimes there's these like opposite recommendations like you need to get rid of the anxiety by kind of soothing yourself through these self-care products or whatever it is and then on the other hand is like you just need to suck it up and and deal with whatever's bothering you but I like your approach because you suggest being compassionate and um, understanding yourself while encouraging your actions to kind of not be controlled by the anxiety so I really like that approach and I do feel like it's different than some of the other approaches out there.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And um, I I agree with you. It does seem to be that people have these um, I sort of look at them as, as all or nothing perspectives that either you control anxiety, and, and then once you have the ability to do that, then you can get on with things, or, um, you know, kind of this harsh idea, which I, I don't think gets communicated so much in the mental health fields, but the idea that, you know, come on, just deal with it, suck it up, it's not that big of a deal, and then get on with things. And, and I think the real answer is, is somewhere in the middle. Anxiety really is a difficult emotion, it is hard to deal with. And, and I think if you can, if you have some insight, Inside, if you understand what it is um, and, and what you're dealing with in those moments when anxiety really uh, escalates, it's so helpful to, to recognize that, hey, I've got a lot of things that I can do right now, whether you know I do focus on some of these self-care strategies that might help me calm down a little bit, or if I decide to work through anxiety and, and prioritize something something else that's more meaningful in the moment. Um, or some combination of, of strategies, I think it's uh, really empowering to know that you've got a lot of options and um, they don't have to involve get rid of it or just suck it up.
1: I really appreciate that. And one thing that I might ask to explain a little bit from when you were describing how you got into the research is you mentioned um, some of those strategies that might be useful for stress aren't as helpful in the long term for anxiety. Would you mind saying what the difference between stress and anxiety yeah, is? Yeah.
2: Sure. Stress, this always sounds like a cop out to me when I answer it this way, but stress <laughs> is a response to stressors. So when we encounter uh, something that's overwhelming in, in life and it may be something external or it may just be a, a belief system that things are, are overwhelming, that I'm I'm struggling with something difficult. When we encounter a, a stressful event of some sort, we're gonna have that stress response. But the thing about stress is that uh, people can display it in, in different ways emotionally. Some people experience stress, and they become passive and withdrawn and depressed. And some people uh, experience stress, and they explode, they lash out, they become quite angry. And still, uh, other people might experience stress, and their response is anxiety. So with anxiety, we're thinking about a much more specific emotional response, and I I describe anxiety as a future-oriented emotional response to a perceived threat. And by that, I mean that whenever you anticipate that something bad will happen, that it'll be catastrophic and that you won't be able to cope, then you're going to have that, that anxiety response. It's a lot like fear, but the difference would be that uh, anticipatory element, the belief that something bad will happen, the belief that I can't cope. And, uh, and then, of course, our bodies respond just as as they do when we're exposed to something we fear and then we may interpret that internal activity as anxiety and then that leads to uh, all kinds of cognitive and behavioral responses um, once we identify that emotion. That's so interesting and I'm, I'm trying to, ref- I don't know if I want to
0: refrain from making parallels to the current pandemic so we can conceptualize some of that. I was trying to think of a good example that we can give, you can give, it regarding what's, you know, a, an acute stressor that can trigger a fear response versus an, uh, a stressor that is more future-oriented. But I just can't help to think about how society's response to the pandemic is—it kind of mirrors what you're talking about. So we keep seeing this threat, and for a, a good number of people, that the response has been to be like worry a lot and really ruminate and think about it and kind of just wallow in that anxiety. And for another segment of population it has been almost kind of the opposite, but just minimizing it completely or you know, maybe engaging in the belief that it doesn't exist or just facing the threat is it's not that bad. And it's a very, this is completely the opposite of what other people are taking. So I'm interested in the individual responses that people have, but um, I'm I'm curious is there's if, (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this, but if you have any any other specific examples of the kind of um, common anxieties that people have uh, that you, or the an example that you can give regarding what's the future versus uh, future-oriented anxiety versus an acute
2: stressor. Mm-hmm. That's uh, you know I was just thinking of this the other day. I, personally, I pay a lot of attention to my thoughts, to my emotional experiences. I don't know if that's a psychologist thing or uh, you know if that's just something that I do. But I'll give you a personal example, and this is such a small thing, but but I think we can all relate to these tiny stressors. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something big or dramatic, but one of the things that's really stressful for me is, is going to the grocery store. I I'm doing a great job of staying at home. I'm, I'm really consistent with that. I don't leave. And, uh, but you know, eventually I have to get something to eat. So I go to the grocery store and I really try to follow all the you know, all the social distancing guidelines and everything. And, uh, you know, and I find that some people are, they're very cautious. And some people, they seem to be very relaxed and not terribly concerned, no mask, Mm -hmm. standing close. And so the other day I was at the grocery store and someone got very close to me And, uh, and I felt, you know, in my body, I felt that, that reaction that I, it was internal arousal and my muscles got tense and I really felt like, uh, you know, this is a threat. And, um, you know, that was my response in the moment I had to make a choice about how I was going to deal with it. And so of course, in that moment, I really wanted to indicate to that person, um, maybe not in a very polite way. I I just wanted to say, Hey, six feet, (laughs) But uh, but I didn't um, and because I thought, you know, if I kind of snap like that, then this person will, will probably be upset with me and it will create some sort of conflict. So that's you a good You don't example. want
0: another felony in your record.
2: That's right. That's right. I need a little more data before I can decide uh, how to proceed. So in that moment, I, I was very aware of this was stressful to, to be so close to someone that I didn't know. And then I had some anxiety about, uh, you know, should I say something if I do, how will they they respond what sort of impact will that have how will they judge me um, so I think that's a good example of how you know we encounter a stressful event and then we have that that reaction and then you know based on whatever follows the the ideas the, the cognitive processes um, that's going to contribute to an emotional response um, and then we've got to do something to uh, to sort that out or, or find an effective way to respond to it I love that example that's so great
1: it's very, very relatable. What did you end up doing?
2: I kept my mouth shut and I grumbled to myself, and uh, I did the best I could to get out <laughs> so of the grocery the store as yeah. quickly as possible, like I do every time.
0: It's, it's so interesting. <laughs> and it, and I loved it. It's one thing that you said it was, it's probably better than getting in a shouting argument, I'll have to say, with somebody who already it kind of is a little more less care, care, uh, careful of what other people might think of you. But you mentioned uh, you know, you, that you, 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 you took information, you had an, you know, there was a stimulus, you had information, then you had a thought process that you had, and that you used the word choice. And as I was reading um, excerpts from your book, I really kept thinking, I was preparing for the episode today, I kept going back to um, uh, philosophy and stoicism, uh, and I, I kind of just kept thinking about the parallels between stoicism and cognitive behavioral therapy and ended up just going down a little bit of a rabbit hole regarding the origins of REBT and its links to a stoicism, but essentially this idea that we have, we have a choice on how we interpret, uh, a stressor or the environment, you know, whatever is happening in the world and, uh, and we usually mangle a quote every episode, so I'm about to mangle one by Victor, by Victor <laughs> Frankl, as, as is tradition. Uh, but do you know which one I'm talking about is by Victor Frankl, and it's something about I think it's Victor Frankl, but essentially, um, in between action and reaction, there's freedom or something like that. Is essentially, saying response. Yeah, one,
1: I'm, I'm gonna. Look, You're going to look it up. As this is, is also a, as, as this
0: tradition after we mangle it,
2: then we quickly <laughs> Google it. And then
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> rather than have yeah, it read I, I, I do think it is between stimulus and response. I, I think that's what that's it is.
1: Correct. There is a space in that space is our power to choose our response. And our response lies our growth and our freedom. Nailed it. Uh, that is Google who <laughs> nailed it. What a memory! <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> what a an excellent quote. It's it's just so true. It's something I think about a lot. That you know, it's just so fascinating that we have um, so many different reactions to to the things that we encounter in life, and you know, we really do have to if we're going to be um, effective in terms of of how we relate to and respond to our our difficult emotions, it's just so important to be able to take a step back, to be an observer of that inner experience and then make that choice. What do I want to do with this? Should I keep my mouth shut? Should I say something politely? Should I, should should I get angry? Maybe sometimes Mm -hmm. there is a place for that. Um, Or should I just walk away? So we've got lots of options and and I think, you know, it's, it's, important to pay attention to that internal process to figure out what you're working with and then to figure out what to do. But I think for a lot of people, what happens is they pay attention to it and they don't explore it. They don't evaluate Mm -hmm. maybe the accuracy and utility of beliefs. They just get stuck on the emotion and then there's a response and, and they end up regretting the response. They don't feel good about the choice they made. So I'm really big on notice the beliefs, give yourself an opportunity to work with them and maybe consider an alternative perspective and then make that choice.
1: Oh, that's okay. I didn't, I didn't mean to um, pair Frankl with the Stoics either. Um, his book is a lot about what he calls logotherapy right. and um, written from the perspective of someone who's been in a concentration camp. So to me, right. that's extremely powerful that someone could come out of that situation and and write something like that and think about the world that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. And I, I was just looking at the the Wikipedia for modern Stoicism, and he's they they mentioned him there. Oh. Um, but then again, this is Wikipedia. Uh, so, <laughs> but, there
1: are certainly similar themes that, yeah. that carry on through there. Well, <laughs> Leo and I can sort out our timelines and labels <laughs> after the show, perhaps, and, <laughs> and figure it out. But one thing I wanted to ask, in light of all of that, I think there's a lot of discussion about self care, especially during this pandemic. That the idea is kind of like you need to take care of your mental health during this time, and that will prevent you from having problems or or from having mental health issues and self-care i have kind of mixed feelings about it depending on how it's used i think sometimes at its best it really encourages people to have a balance in their lives and pay attention to things like exercising sleeping healthy boundaries and relationships and and things like that on the other hand i feel like sometimes and, and i'll link to some articles that make this point not written by me but that i agree with that sometimes self-care is used to market things to people to indulge themselves in products, kind of like, I don't know, bubble baths or certain clothes or, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a special coffee maker or something. I don't know, <laughs> which which is fine. But the idea is that that way you will be caring for yourself if you buy these products and then it's also sometimes used i think to put the responsibility or blame on individuals to manage their mental health rather than saying for example i've seen self-care being encouraged of frontline workers during the pandemic and it that is important Mm -hmm. but it doesn't replace things like making sure they have good protective gear or something like that or that their shifts are not overloaded or that they have sick leave. So uh, there's a lot of controversy around that term. And, and I'm wondering, Joel, how you define self-care personally.
2: I'm still trying to sort that out because uh, you bring up so many good points. You know, this idea that, you know, if you're a healthcare worker and, you know, and you're kind of going the extra mile to support other people, you need to, of course, um, take some time out to attend to your own needs. But, you know, like you said, it's, does that mean that maybe you set uh, some boundaries at work and make sure that you have protective equipment? Um, or does that mean that you know, when you do have that, that time alone that you're making nice meals or exercising or, you know, or, or whatever it is that you think is uh, important to try to relax or um, you know, take care of yourself? So um, I, I think it's the latter, that's what people usually mean. Um, I think when self-care is is used to describe you know anything that's going to be health promoting, uh, where, where you kind of look out for your own needs and you make sure that you're you're getting them met, um, I think that's a wonderful thing. But but I agree with you. Often the danger here is that uh, we can start to or people can start to prioritize these you know really I think of sort of health promoting or stress management behaviors. And then, you know, when they do that, um, that creates problems in other areas mm-hmm. of life. Maybe they avoid personal responsibilities or, um, you know, they get so wrapped up in what they say is self, self-care self that they fail to follow through with with other things that are really important to care for the self. So that, that's a tricky idea. I'm, I'm not really sure what, what self-care means exactly, although I, I think generally the point is, it's kind of the, the health promoting or the the uh, stress management tactics that people tend to turn to. And So that ties a little bit to
0: the question that I have, I don't know if I can get to the same question at a different angle, but it's this idea basically that you're using um, a certain technique as a stress management or self, emotional self-regulation. And earlier you mentioned, taking the time to think about a reaction and then choosing an effective strategy. And so maybe it's about people who then have poor skills or little practice in choosing more effective strategies to self-soothe. So as, rather than say, for example, um, dealing with the problem right away or the, or the situation, whatever it may be, they decide to either engage in you know, drinking and, and avoiding whatever it is, or taking a bubble bath or whatever, but still kind of trying to forget. And so I'm wondering if it's uh, about um, or maybe can you talk a little bit more about what you consider to be more effective uh, strategies for uh, stress management and also for anxiety management versus ones that are less effective?
2: Yeah I, w- I would say that uh, probably the the usual urge that people have when they're emotionally overwhelmed is to do some sort of emotion focused coping that and, and that would be the stuff like the the bubble bath or exercise or um, sorry, I'm just laughing, that the bubble bath keeps coming up.
1: I just uh, want to keep, <laughs> be clear here is that I, I do take bubble baths, and, and I'm not against them, but I also... I, I as a I think,
0: can look down upon it.
1: And if my favorite bubble bath companies want to sponsor this podcast, they are welcome, <laughs> and we will promote your products. I just don't think that that is the solution. So just wanted to be clear, not offend the bubble bath takers out there, but sorry, right. Bill, go ahead.
2: <laughs> and, and I agree with you. You know, bubble bath or, or whatever it is you, you like that you know that feels good, that that helps you. Um, you know, that that brings a, a sense of pleasure or that, that helps you relax. I think it's great. But um, I think the the problem for a lot of people is they're you know they experience the difficult emotion. You know, that, let's say they're they're going through a stressful period and they're dealing with uh, anxiety or depression or anger or guilt or whatever it is. And then they think, I've got to calm this down. I've, I've got to address this emotion, you know, generally not, not thinking in those terms, but then the behaviors that people turn to, to cope, that they're just so emotion focused. The idea is that, um, you know, this will help me feel better so uh I make the distinction between the emotion focused um strategies and then the strategies that are really designed to uh, either address a practical problem like you know maybe you have to have a difficult conversation with someone or you're overwhelmed because you have a project to complete or whatever it might be um strategies to to address those practical problems mm-hmm. and then perhaps strategies just to um you know address things that that aren't practical problems but it might be you know for example a tendency to worry excessively or to get hung up on uncertainty or to ruminate and so then i think you know instead of just trying to control or defeat the emotion it's important to figure out but what do i want to do with um this uh internal activity that i seem to be prioritizing or getting too invested in so um you know, some of the things we do are emotion-focused, and that's great. But I think it's also important to be really solution-focused in in the choices we make, so that ultimately, long-term, we have a better handle on difficult emotions, and we're more effective uh, in terms of um, dealing with some of the the challenges or obstacles that we face in life. I love that you say you. I gotta take these care of this emotion. It's almost like you know I can't
0: handle this emotion, but in reality, you maybe you can take the time to evaluate what's happening, and then choosing a more uh, adaptive strategy or more solution-focused rather than, emo- as you mentioned, emotion-focused, that while may soothe your, your feelings briefly, it doesn't actually address the problem that made you anxious the,
2: uh, to begin with. Absolutely. And and even a little thing, like just a little change in perspective, like, you you know, it's really hard for me to deal with how I feel right now. And I'm not sure what to do about it. Now I'm going to kind of explore my options is so much better than I can't deal with this. And, and, you know, I got to go on the treadmill or whatever it is that might be useful enough, but usually it it has um, a temporary impact And uh, and often it's impractical. You can't just shut down your work day and and go for fun or you know whatever whatever people do to try to um, to manage stress. So um, I think it's you know even even a little shift in perspective um, can be so helpful for creating opportunities to find better responses. What is your favorite bubble bath, by the way, Katie? Because if we're gonna get sponsored, (laughs) we have
0: to mention them.
1: (laughs) Make (laughs) sure I have it right. Um, Ooh,
0: it, no, we have to banana bing bong that one out. <laughs> no, you have to be like this damn, is, This is the name. This is,
1: this is what I like. It is Dr. Teals Soothe and Sleep Foaming Bath.
0: Dr. with her up some salt. Oh. Um,
1: it's good Wait. stuff.
0: What's it so, called again?
1: Dr. Teals.
0: That name again is Dr. Teals. <laughs> putting it up
1: there. <laughs> is that the, Is that Mr. Plough?
0: That, that is Mr. Plow. <laughs> <about. laughs>
1: I'm glad. Anyway, we got but please
2: um, let us continue with our very serious interview.
1: Well, I think, I think we
2: can all say with confidence that Dr. Teal's products are excellent. I'd <laughs> love to have more of them. I thank you to the folks at Dr. Teal's yeah.
1: my and bottle also. is running low. <laughs> for
0: older emotion, for older emotion, focus scope, consider Dr. Teal's. Not always. Maybe you can postpone it. However, if you if you if you must take a bubble bath, (laughs) Doctor Teals.
1: Well, what I really like about your approach, Joel is that you include things like running as not a solution to anxiety because I do
0: too. I was like, oh my gosh, my guilt.
1: No, no, but that's that's where I think it's this word is probably overused a bit, but it is much more nuanced than the idea of like, you know, you're saying that it's good to do healthy things. It's good to manage your stress. It's just that if it has the function of avoiding it, the The issue at hand, then long term it's not going to help. So if you run and feel great and you're in the middle of your work day and you can't go for a run and you are anxious and you can't use that go-to coping skill, then that can cause more issues for you. So it's worth kind of looking at it through a different approach. so i I think that's really important because it it talks about looking at anxiety as not something so terrible and aversive that you need to immediately get rid of it, but rather that you can accept it and kind of think through what's most helpful. So I like that approach.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's excellent.
1: And I thought maybe as an example, because I do think it can be kind of tricky, because to figure out if you're what you're doing is kind of emotion-focused coping or avoidance or if it's kind of a the way that you would recommend which is kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy approach. So I was thinking about this like if you have a conflict with someone, you might be really upset, not either of you specifically, but a person could be very upset about it and they could choose various behaviors. They could drink so that they forget about it or they could ask people they know that will reassure them that they're right and the other person is wrong mm-hmm. or perhaps having a longer term impact they could do one of two things they could accept that there's a conflict and that it's not the end of the world and they can live with it mm-hmm. or they can plan to have a conversation with the person so those last two, if I'm understanding right, are what you're talking about, the more like active coping type of strategies.
2: That's right. So yeah, if, you know, if there's that tension, there's that conflict, you know, sometimes kind of like I did at the, you know, the grocery store the other day, I thought this is a pretty minor issue. And I know my, my emotional response in this moment is, you know, more intense than it needs to be. It, this is, you know, just something that I react to, it's my thing. And uh, it's just not, you know, important enough or, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone and, and I'm OK with making that choice right now. But other times, you know, there is something important to address and uh, instead of you know, I'm going to do something so I don't have to think about this or you know I want to calm down or relax so that I'll feel more comfortable addressing this problem. sometimes it's helpful to acknowledge that this is how I feel. I don't like what's going on. I have a problem with the situation, and I'm going to find a way to communicate this to another person. and I'll try to be as polite and respectful as possible, but this is an issue that needs to be addressed and I'm going to say it, and if they object to it, I'll, I'll have to deal with that. But um, it's much more important to kind of take on that challenge, an important challenge, than to do whatever you can to distance yourself from it. I think I muted myself.
1: Oh.
2: Oh no, I didn't. Can you Oh, you can hear me. So never <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I
1: did respond to you, so that's Sorry. a good sign that it's
0: not <laughs> muted. <laughs> um, it, it. So you're kind of tying it back to what you were saying earlier uh, when we started is you know, you kind of have this choice and you're, you're going to take either a passive or, a you know, overreactive and you're going to try to find a, a, a middle approach that is that is helpful. And I just keep thinking currently, I, when I was thinking about an example in my own life. Uh, probably the biggest thing is uh, doing is procrastination, quite frankly. Like if I, there's a task ahead, like there's grading or something, you're like, Ugh, I just don't want to do that. I find tedious administrative work. And you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to plow through it. I'm just going to get it done. But first, a snack,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> then I go that. like I can't do this without wait a minute I can't have cookies without tea well I gotta make tea and next thing I'm like okay but now I am 20 minutes behind versus what I could have just started I'm like well it's such a nice day maybe I should go for a run and then be ready for it and then when I come back I'm like oh gosh it's almost it's already dark I'll just tackle it again tomorrow morning whenever I'm oh, crap. so it's 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 so helpful and I've been actually using I, I shared this with Katie a while ago uh, Wobot, which is an app that uh, does cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's really the one thing. I I don't know how many times Wobot has told me this, so the same thing, that I'm just using emotional reasoning
2: to procrastinate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's such an impressive app.
2: It, what is it I, called? Woebot.
1: Yeah, Wo, W-O-E-Bot. Oh,
0: Wobot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's super clever. It was developed by some Stanford clinical psychologist and it's artificial intelligence and it just does cognitive behavioral therapy I think it's it's really impressive in many and just kind of in getting people introduced to the topics of CBT the foundations and emotional regulation and mindfulness it's really yeah it's I was going to ask you if you had an, an opinion regarding it because it really I think that's one of the, the concerns and the, the critiques of CBT is that it seems kind of formulaic or packaged and here is a, you know essentially an app helping me through it and yet sometimes I do feel like even though I'm a psychologist I know these things. I have an app that tells me, hey, buddy, quit with emotional reasoning. Let's get to it. <laughs> and I'm still like, huh, well, let's see what's in the news because I we need to see what the count on the latest coronavirus numbers are.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, that's. I'm not familiar with that app. I, I love the idea, though. I mean, if, if technology can assist us with, with this stuff, that's that's wonderful. But my concern with, with um, tools like that is that, uh, that people – I think this is a big problem for a lot of folks when they're they're trying to find solutions to uh, emotional challenges that they they look for that answer, that recipe that, uh, okay, now I know what to do. And and so the app says do this thing or the app says Mm -hmm. now's the time where you need to take a break or you need to redirect. And uh, I think it's so important for people to come to their own conclusions about what they want to do, how they want to handle something. And so, um, you know, Leah, when you were talking about that, I, I thought of um, sometimes if I'm writing an article or, you know, I'm working on something sometimes, and I think a lot of us do this, I've got a bunch of windows open, I've got Twitter going, I've got all kinds of stuff <laughs> happening. And, you know, you see that that self-help advice that says when when you're doing your work, shut off all your uh, electronic equipment, and I, I do the opposite. I've got everything going at once <laughs> and uh, and I'm okay with that. I know I'm not as effective as I could be. I know that I'm you know I'm, I'm taking too much time on certain activities, but it's amusing to me. it you know it gives me a little bit of, of pleasure while I do something that's tedious and i'm I'm fine with having those interruptions um, as long as I get mm. the work done and it makes me feel you know maybe a little more upbeat while I do it. Yeah. I'm totally okay with that. So I think that's an example of how um, you know a lot of people would say, "Oh, that's not a good uh, practice." But for me, I I like it. I'm comfortable with yeah. it. I think uh, going back to that app idea, ultimately, it's it's just so important for all of us to recognize that there are lots of different ways to uh, address these challenges, and we can um, we don't have to follow some sort of packaged model. We can sort of connect the dots in a way that that works for us. And it might be a little bit of emotion-focused coping and a lot of solution-focused coping or however we wanna organize it. But uh, it really does come down to what's gonna work for the individual. That's
0: neat. That's a very, very balanced, very compassionate approach to self. Without becoming, thats I think that's the kind of the problem that going back to the topic of uh, the self-care is that it's difficult for people to, for me, I would say, and for I've observed it in other people as well, is that it's difficult to demarcate the line between what becomes what you're describing, which was like, what's a, which is what's a comfortable, stimulating environment that has some self-soothing or something that is that addresses that emotional need while also being productive, versus going over the line of self-indulgence, right? So I'm like, at what point do you you say, okay, I, I've had enough cookies? You already went for the run, time <laughs> to buckle down, buddy, right? <laughs> Uh, right. and, and, and not going self-indulgent. And I think as we were preparing for the um, episode, we're talking about there's this, you know, before this, it, the pandemic has been really interesting, certain put things in perspective, but it seems like there was an industry dedicated to just maximizing people's self-indulgence, right? Masked as like, you know, self-care. It's so important that you self-care and basically avoid any negative emotion and the the irrationality of that, or how unhelpful it may be, but essentially there was a very powerful forces in our society to push people towards self indulgence masked as emotional regulation slash self care, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting tricky balance, which I was as I was thinking our previous episode, yes, the last time. Uh, which I don't know if you knew Joel sorry but it was about porn and essentially how people may be engaging in a lot of uh, watching more porn just as, a, as another self-emotional self-regulation skill so yeah I'm keep tying it to that and earlier before the we started the, the segment we were talking about with another guest about the Tiger King but they were talking about how people are adopting animals the shelters are empty and we mused out loud as to how many people are going to be returning those animals or you know because they just thought they would have this animal that would kind of soothe their emotion uh, but now as the, the reality of the difficulty of having to take care of a living breathing being settles all of a sudden like well this is actually more stressful than I thought it was and it's not helpful and then go go back, go the kitties, which by the way, we actually heard your kitty earlier, which was very cute, which I'm <laughs> keep that.
2: He always makes his presence known.
1: So you have a cool blog post on your Psychology Today blog, CBT and me about Abraham that I really like because I think it is a, a clear way to relate to our thoughts. It seem to come into our minds. Would you mind describing that a little bit?
2: Sure. And, and thank you. Yeah. Abraham is my cat and um, I uh, I, I like to um, thank you. I like to use my my cat as sort of uh, you know uh, conceptually. I think he's he's very similar to um, the intrusive thoughts that that sometimes people struggle with when they have a tough time with anxiety. Um, but I would mm-hmm. argue that you could sort of think of a um, a cat as something similar to any unwanted internal activity. And, and I say unwanted because, you know, as much as I love my cat, there are times where he will not do what I want him to do. When I say (laughs) there are times, I mean, most of the time, and that's just how cats operate. And so sometimes I'm I'm eating dinner and he'll jump up on the table and he wants to be uh, eating that food along with me. And I push him away and he comes right back and Sometimes I'll be uh, on a podcast or on a call and he uh, starts, he's very talkative and he starts making a lot of noise and I try to get him to be quiet and he will not comply. So the thing about cats is, you know, it, the more you, you get wrapped up in trying to control them, trying to get them to do what you want them to do, the more they're going to ignore you or fight back or resent you. And I think our, our brains um, are, are kind of like that too, that if we identify a threat if we tell ourselves okay you need to relax like that's not such a big deal you're you're exaggerating this this upcoming challenge um, you know that doesn't work because we're we're still you know the, the brain keeps fighting us it's it's almost like our brains are saying uh, are you sure? Right. You, you got this party started. You told me that you were in danger. So I'm going to keep reminding you that, that something bad is happening. Now you're telling me to calm down. I don't think so. So our brains are a lot like cats. They, they keep reminding, you know, those signals keep popping up and it takes a long time to calm down. So if we respond to that internal arousal, um, you, you know, the way we might to a cat by, by trying to control it or push it away or distance ourselves Um, We're just going to create more problems. That uh, you know the the signals will will escalate and will become even more overwhelmed. So, long story short, you know, in terms of what do you do instead? I think if you're a pet owner, whether it's a cat or a dog, you learn that sometimes um, animals are just going to do these strange things that you don't understand. They don't make mm. sense. Um, they're going to act out. They're unpredictable, and that's just you know what cats and dogs do. Um, I think if you can understand that your brain is kind of like that, that you're going to have these thoughts and sensations and urges and all of that, it's going to pop up and it may not make a lot of sense. If you can just acknowledge that that's what you're dealing with in the moment, you you don't always have to take it seriously. You don't have to get invested in it. You don't have to challenge it. You can just leave it alone and redirect your attention to something more meaningful. That's so powerful. And personally, I've noticed with my cat when I leave him alone and just let him do his weird cat things, um, he calms down. I calm down, and you know the stuff that seems like such a problem in the moment um, eventually seems like no big deal at all. And mm. I think we relate to anxiety and other difficult emotions in um, in, in pretty much the same way. That's
1: great. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it's great how you make such a clear example that most of us can relate to because i do think in therapy practice a lot of people believe they should be controlling their minds or that their thoughts always mean something and if they determine that, then they can feel less of the painful emotion. So during the pandemic, and I don't know if you've also heard people say this, I hear, I hear a lot of people saying, but I know there are so many people that have it worse, and I'm silly to think about whatever it might be, a haircut or going to the movies or going to the grocery store twice a week. And when I hear that, I think part of the function is to try to tell themselves, like, it could be much worse, so you shouldn't feel bad. And I, but I don't think it really works. I think what ends up happening, at least for some people is that then they, on top of feeling anxious or upset about whatever it is, they feel shame and guilt for being upset in the first place. And so it sounds like if you take more of a like curiosity and acceptance approach that you might not get those, like, I guess I'd call secondary emotions. Is that Hmm. what you're saying?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that word curiosity. It's It's almost like, uh, you know, I I kind of do this to myself. Sometimes I notice how I think and, and then I realized this is fascinating that the fact that, you know, let, let's use that example, the fact that I'm going through a difficult time and then I'm telling myself it's not okay to go through a difficult time because other people have it worse. Isn't that interesting that I'm thinking that way? I, you know, so I think it's it's really um, kind of a, a good process to go through sometimes to just acknowledge that this is just how I'm thinking. I'm not even sure if I believe this yet, if I agree with these ideas uh, and then, from there, um, you know then you can decide what happens next. But so interesting, a lot of people do say that, and and I think um, one of the things that that I'll do sometimes in in therapy is I'll kind of explore an extreme uh, opposing viewpoint with someone or or maybe even extreme an extreme uh, idea that is consistent with their statement. So, for example, if someone says i you know, I shouldn't um, feel bad because other people have it so much worse." I asked them, um, you know, what would you think if I uh, responded to that and, and told you, um, I agree, you're, you're really, um, you have no right to feel bad because uh, the, the challenges are so much more significant for other people. What would your reaction be? And, and I think often people say, well, I would think that's really cruel. And, mm-hmm, um, you know, mm-hmm. why don't you show some support for me? And and then I wonder why they don't do that for themselves. And then on the other hand, right? If I um, if I say, you know what, it's okay. Everyone's going through a tough time, and be be kind to yourself. And um, you know, it's it's all right to prioritize your own concerns. Then you know, often um, the response is, well, I you know, defend against that. I I try to convince myself that, um, no, that's not okay. And um, I work even harder to maybe show concern for other people and and beat myself up over the fact that that I think I'm going through a tough time. So I think it's good to, um, to recognize that these are just ideas. And even though there is an emotional element, or, or at least a, an emotional consequence to the ideas, yeah. um, sometimes, you know, we can just take a step back from it and, and maybe look at it in a different way. And, and that's so helpful for um, managing difficult emotions and just thinking in, in more realistic terms. Yeah, that's that's your to me, it sounds like you're alluding a lot to like kind
0: of non judgmental observation of your own thoughts, or thought process, and kind of just writing that way. You don't have to re- react or just judge it in any way. It's like, hmm, okay, that's an interesting thought I had, but I can let that and all at the same time, also taking a very compassionate approach to yourself rather than shooting all over yourself, as uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> as
2: uh, Albert Ellis would say. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, be an observer and, and uh, you know, you don't have to immediately take every, every thought seriously. And, um, and I don't know, I, I think that's one of the most uh, important and, and most powerful strategies that, that we can all learn to do. And it, it's not something that comes easily. Um, I think for good reason, a lot of us have strong emotions and then we spring into action. We try to do something to deal with it, but mm-hmm. it's important to develop another set of skills that involves that um, sort of curious or, or mindful uh, observation of, of the internal process um, before making the call about what to do next.
0: What have you found to be kind of the more, if you were to say, like, what are the more uh, effective, or if you were to share some of the things that have worked for you, especially during either during this time or before the pandemic, that have been helpful? If you were to give you know, your Joel's tips on on how to uh, what what has been most more helpful people should try what can you have anything to share regarding that
2: do do you mean um what would be helpful for observing the inner experience or oh
0: i'm sorry yeah no just kind of uh well regulating anxiety or dealing with uh dealing with uh anxiety or stress that is ongoing right now or in life in general and not become self-indulgent but being more uh strategy more uh, solution oriented while at the same time acknowledging that you have these emotions and needs
1: Yeah, how should we do self-care?
0: Yeah, (laughs) there you go. And in five Um, words or less. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: I recommend Dr. Teal's bubble bath. (laughs) Excellent product. Well
1: done. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) Uh,
2: You know that that's a complicated question. I'm going to try to summarize this. Um, I I guess you know, part one is um, you know there is a place for emotion-focused coping and you know, do those self-care things that are important, that make you feel good. I I believe in that, I think that's great. But, um, you know, when we're dealing with, um, you know, other issues that are, you know, just kind of ongoing problems or, or maybe something, a significant event that, that we really need to address head on. We've, we've got to deal with it directly. Um, I think there, you know, it's just be aware of that, that tendency, that urge to get too wrapped up in the emotion focused coping strategies. And personally, my, my view is that there are three things that we can do um, in response to difficult emotions. Of course, my book is anxiety focused. So I'll I'll kind of related to that primarily, but three things that we can do that may not—they um, may not come easily. They may not feel very natural, but with work, with practice, um, we can acquire those skills, and it really does pay off over time. Number one is, um, you know, as you pay attention to that inner experience, recognize some of the the thinking traps, the biased patterns of thinking. I call them anxious fictions. So. That would involve, uh, for example, if you think um, I'm never going to be able to go back to work or, um, you know, once I if I reach out to my my boss, my supervisor, and I ask, you know, can can I come back to work or 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 something, um, you know, that might be hard to, to broach. Um, you know, if you kind of anticipate this is going to be catastrophic and, and I'm not going to be able to handle it, that's a great opportunity to maybe question those ideas. How, how accurate are these? Do I have evidence to support these beliefs? Is there another view that might be more realistic and useful? And, uh, you know, if you kind of notice the, the patterns in thinking catastrophizing or the belief that I'm inadequately prepared to deal with challenges um, the more you pay attention to those things, the more the, the easier it gets to respond with an idea that's both uh, more realistic and more useful. So here's what I really believe. If I if I really give this uh, careful consideration, and now that I have that clarity, here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's my useful belief. So then you you know develop the the plan to take action, and that's you know number two The the second tactic that I think is so important is that if you tend to be really Uh, if you tend to respond to your emotions by shutting down or lashing out or avoiding, um, and you you find that, you know, that really creates problems in your life, it's important to figure out how can I start uh, engaging in activities that are meaningful, important, but perhaps anxiety provoking or emotionally charged in some other way how can I increase my activity instead of letting my emotions drive the response so that I can build personal control so that I can be more effective so that I can problem solve and experience that, that sense of pleasure accomplishment. That's just so important uh, in life. So that would be tactic number two, learn how to be more action oriented um, rather than emotion driven. And then I think the the third um, important strategy is to be, Um, just more objective about the inner experience, that collection of internal activity that we've been talking about so much today. And, you know, instead of being frightened by it or, um, you know, feeling like you got to take it seriously or act on it, uh, respond with objectivity, with humor, with self-compassion, find, you know, different ways to relate to difficult emotions um, that don't always involve this emotion driven behavior that, you know, can sometimes be helpful, but that can also create some real long-term problems um, if we become too committed to uh, avoidance or um, the avoidant behavior itself.
0: Right. Yeah. No. I love those three bullet points. I, I almost feel like that's that's definitely going to be in the sound bites for the beginning of the show. That's that's lovely. That's a great, great concise way to put it.
1: Yeah, Thank it's you. it's excellent. And I, as I've already said, Joel is a good friend of mine, but I would say this, even if he weren't, and he weren't on this um, Skype call <laughs> with me, it's worth buying his book because Joel, that, that kind of clarity is how Joel really exp- and the tactics are in his book. And he explains it really clearly. It's very accessible. And I think that it's been enormously helpful in how I think about anxiety in my own life, but also in working with patients. So I appreciate you sharing it on uh, our podcast today. Yeah. John.
0: And I'm actually, re- my, my girlfriend said that she, she thinks she recommended it. She's like, wait a minute, who are you having the pockets? I'm like, I think I recommended that book to somebody at her. She works in a human resources and she thinks she recommended that to somebody. And I was like, I think it would be excellent for somebody else mm-hmm. that we know that is experiencing severe anxiety. I'm like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a very nice uh, very accessible guide. So well. I think it's great. So let's see, we've plugged in Dr. Teals. We have plugged in your book really good. Your are a psychologist. Now tell me, what kind of cat chow does Abraham prefer?
2: Uh, well, first of all, um, I, I just want to thank you both so much for the very uh, thoughtful feedback. I, I really appreciate it. it. means a lot to me. And um you know, I'm, I'm glad that you find the, the book to be useful. And, and I really wanted to, I mean, this is my goal. I really wanted to, you know, share these ideas that I think have been, you know, so helpful for me in, in my life. I really wanted um, and useful for, you know, my clinical practice with therapy clients. I really wanted to get those ideas out to out to folks who really do struggle with anxiety. So it, it means a lot uh, to hear from both of you that um, that I'm you know, but it's having that effect. So thank you.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much. I keep reflecting to my own life because I am a raging narcissist.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Who's> and... self-aware.
0: <laughs> but, but self-aware, I do have that. As you know, because I am the best at being self-aware.
1: <laughs> I've always said that about you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I was thinking, I was like, so after having this conversation, I'm like, how am I going to apply this into my own life? Given that I have recognized this pattern, I'm like during the pandemic in in which my efficacy in some things has certainly been um, minimized in many ways. And I'm like, I I do want to think about what are the strategies that I've used in the past and what has worked and what doesn't. And I really am trying to work at reducing my amount of news intake because I I do, I've always been kind of news junkie. I like being informed. But it has become a a source of just being like, oh, okay, let me just check and see because it it feels important. But in reality, it really is not adding anything. And I do derive a lot of um, what Joel was talking about is you derive this sense of satisfaction from accomplishing things and like that. And whenever I I do more action-oriented things, like keeping my I start tracking my time. So just like a good behaviorist. So I track. Very carefully what I'm spending my time on, and then try to improve upon that the next iteration, and then reward myself with the things that I find uh, rewarding. Uh, so that that are you know that yeah that are rewarding and self caring. So like going for uh, going for a run, going for a bike ride, right? and of course uh, followed by Dr. Teal's uh, bubble bath. <laughs> Always. <laughs> what about Same you, Katie? Like what
1: Dr. Teal kind of person?
0: <laughs> what are you? What, what 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 what's your takeaway on this one?
1: well, i th- I think that's an interesting idea of using those kind of things as as rewards or as things that you know are specifically to soothe you, I think while also doing the other things that you want to get accomplished. But I also like the other idea, which is that um, during a pandemic, some of our strategies have been have to change. and so that requires a lot of flexibility because our usual coping tools and strategies aren't present, and we have new obstacles. And how we do the tasks in ways that we're used to doing them, even going to the grocery store and things like that. And so that kind of being a little, I think that's a good place for the kind of self-care that is self-compassion where you recognize that, yeah, it's not as easy to do certain things that were easy to do, but that's because we're in a really different situation right now. Am I understanding that framework, right, Joel?
2: You know, there, there's so many elements to it. And so there's just so many, I guess, so many opportunities to be flexible in, in your responses. And so, you know, part of it might be, um, you know, like what you're saying that, you uh, you know you, you just kind of acknowledge that realistically things are difficult right now and, and i I've made changes and I'll have to continue and I don't have all the answers and and that's tough. So you know part of it might be that and then um, you know part of it might be um, just you know, I think sometimes it's enough just to acknowledge that um, I'm uncomfortable that that I'm going through a difficult time emotionally and I don't have to connect the dots. It's just something I'm dealing with and right now in this moment, I just want to be patient and kind uh, with myself so that, um, you know, I can just uh, handle this emotional challenge and just give myself a break because it's something we all deal with. And I don't have to make sense of it or figure out what to do with it. I, I'm just going to recognize that it's there and, uh, you know, and, and be um, and, and respond with that self-compassion. So lots of different options, um, you know, in terms of what we do. But But yeah, I think the bottom line is just making sure that we don't, know get too invested in that internal activity and say this is truth this is reality um and you know sometimes our initial reactions to something that's difficult might be very different from what they are if we give ourselves an opportunity to um maybe revise our our understanding um and revise our responses i like
0: that's great any any other um kind of process of wisdom that you might have for our listeners or anything else you'd like to close with?
2: Well, uh, something that I personally find really helpful for becoming an observer of the inner experience, uh, something I, I meant to comment on earlier, is um, I, I use an acronym to think about um, the different aspects of anxiety or other difficult emotions. The acronym is Stuff, mm-hmm. S-T-U-F. And um, I really like that because if, if I'm dealing with an uncomfortable emotion, I like to ask myself the question well, I like to notice my stuff, and then I ask, you know, what do I want to do with my stuff? And mm. uh, so it's just shorthand for, for being that non judgmental observer of, of the internal activity. And so the acronym stuff refers to S sensations or what your body's doing, usually internal arousal if it's anxiety. So like would, your hand's sweaty, like clammy or
0: heart racing where I'm noticing that I'm getting nervous around, you know, what the situation or this
2: talk that I'm going to have with somebody. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the, the bodily responses and usually, yeah, it's tension or, or arousal. It's some sort of um, escalation and activity that people tend to notice. So that's helpful information. Sort of that cue, right? That, you know, I've identified a mm-hmm. threat. Here's how my body's responding. Uh, and then T would be your thoughts. So I think I'm in danger. Something bad will happen. It'll be catastrophic. I can't cope. Um, Mm -hmm. uncertainty is intolerable, you know, those kinds of ideas. Um, so there you have an opportunity to, you know, make sense of the, the thinking process, the cognitive activity you, um, and personally, I think this is one of the most important parts you would refer to your urge the urge to do something or not do something. So the the urge to do something might be emotion-focused coping, right? Like I'm going to go for a run. The urge uh, not to do something might be um, I'm going to – you know, I'm not gonna respond to this email or I'm not gonna like me, I'm not gonna go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. This will be too <laughs> uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so those urges, I, I think that's the most important part because then you can figure out your your response. Do I act on the urge or do I find another behavior? And then F would refer to the the feeling labels that we use. So mm-hmm. if you uh, are dealing with this internal activity and you think I'm freaking out, mm-hmm. uh you know that's really scary. But on the other hand, if if the feeling label is, you know, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable or feeling um, a bit stressed, uh, that seems much more manageable. It, you know, perhaps it's more consistent with what you're actually dealing with in that moment, and it makes a lot it makes it a lot easier to figure out your your follow up response. So I love thinking about stuff. Um, usually, people pay attention to just their thoughts or the subjective emotion. But when you have that that acronym, you can kind of pay attention to what's my body doing? How am I thinking? What do I want to do or not do? And how do I make sense of all of this? What's my appraisal? Um, and you see the interplay among those different elements of the emotion. It's just I, I personally find it to be so useful for um, mm. you know for for then making that call about uh, how to respond. I'm going to tape that onto my my monitor, my my work uh, flat
0: monitor, which is now in my my living room. Uh, I think I love that instead of you know the one that I have currently there. This is get back to work, idiot. But you know, that's
1: just...
2: <laughs> or, I'll or, try it your way, and then later, Doctor Teals.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking about your approach and how flexible it is for individuals in their own lives. And it reminds me of a concept from dialectical behavior therapy, which is called wise mind. And the the basic idea is that we have this rational way of looking at things that's very logical. We have this other state of mind that's very emotion-based. But the wise mind part is the decision that will stand the test of time, the kind of thing you'd be happy about a week later or a month later. And is that kind of what your approach is consistent with the idea that you're choosing the most effective thing for the long term like that?
2: Absolutely. I, I really, I think, uh, you know, this is the long game that that we're all playing with uh, difficult emotions. So if if your, you know, typical response is always, how do I scramble in this moment to feel better? Um, you know, th- there are two problems with that. One is is that, you know, it really we get a little bit of relief, and then it strengthens this belief that um, okay, I'm on the right track. This is something that I want to continue doing, um, and then it also strengthens a commitment to that behavior. We, we're really reinforced for you know doing something emotion focused, and so uh, unfortunately, right, what happens is we lose sight of uh, kind of the long term development of problems, and and so you know the more we avoid. Or rely on these safety behaviors to feel better, the more it is that we distance ourselves from doing those things that that we really value, doing those things that are going to help us solve problems or demonstrate personal control. So, I I really uh, agree with that idea that we want to think about uh, long term what's the the best call? Because I'm going to deal with these emotional challenges probably again and again and again in my life. So, if I'm always going to this idea that I need a cocktail or I need to, meditate or whatever it is, um, I'm just not going to be functioning as effectively as I would like. So what does what future me want? Or or what am I going to, like you said, Katie, what am I going to feel better about next week or next month? Or even, you know, in my life, what, what's going to be the, the right course of action? And can I commit to that, even if difficult emotions sometimes get in my way?
1: That's All said great. thank you so much, Joel. Any other things we before we close today, I want to be respectful of your time, but I yeah. also want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to be on yeah, our podcast. Was-
2: oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, I think that that covers most of uh, most of the points I wanted to make. Yeah, the, the the one question I had what we didn't get to
0: answer, which was because we alienated uh, a lot of food animal food companies earlier in the tiger, in the, in the tiger king episode. What kind of what kind of cat food does Abraham prefer?
2: Oh, just, just throw it uh, out there. That's right. I'm sorry, Leo. You asked me that earlier, and I'm so focus on other stuff. Other um, stuff. Well, you, uh, uh, remember that acronym, people. Uh, that's right. I, you know. Abraham, I really believe that he should have the best of everything. So I used to feed him this kind of snooty, fancy, organic, I don't know what kind of food Uh and he loved it, Uh but, um, he, you know, there was some sort of medical consequence. I I don't want to share his personal stuff, (laughs) uh, but, um, he wasn't, he wasn't doing well with that food, even though he loved it. So unfortunately I had to, um, go with a kind of a lower end brand that that has like a, I guess it addresses a medical concern for, for some cats. So he loves this food too. Um, It's Purina, which I, you know, I wish I didn't have to give him Purina, but uh, I guess it's sort of a middle of the road food and, He's okay with it, and I'm living with it. So,
1: I'm
0: with that endorsement of middle of the road purina. Yeah, sorry, purina. I mean, it's, it's fine. But. Thank you so much, Joel. That was yes, fantastic. I had a great time.
1: And also, and I'm sorry for talking over you. This is what I end up editing out of every episode: is <laughs> me and Leo talking over each other. But this time it was me, so sorry, Joel. Um. Yeah,
2: I it all. I, it's hard, you know, to know who's going to talk when. With the when we can't see yeah. each other.
1: Oh, you're you're so empathic. Uh, <laughs> understanding. I also want to say to our listeners, thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone who left us a review on iTunes because that does help other people find the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at um, underscore psychodrama underscore. And we're happy to hear feedback from you there, or you can email us at real psychodrama podcast at gmail.com. I hope you all are taking very good care of yourselves during this difficult time. Yes,
0: thank you. All right, banana bing bong. <laughs>